Our scripture this week is out of Luke 14, starting in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to them, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the same time for the banquet, he sent messages, sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we, we ask you this morning that you would direct our hearts toward the things that you would have us hear. Lord, that we would uh, hear and sense what, what it is specifically that you want to say to us. Lord, as individuals, but then as your people as well. God, we pray this morning that you would uh, move on our hearts in ways that we just haven't experienced before by the power of your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Glad that you're here. Uh, I've got a membership meeting here uh, just after the 11 o'clock service here. So if you're a member, you know, you know where to be. Hope you're uh, sticking around for that. Hope you signed up for that. That would be awesome if you could be here. Um, yeah, we've been in, uh, in Luke chapter 14. Last week we were preaching through it. And uh, Luke chapter 14 is basically an awkward dinner party. It is a dinner party uh, that maybe you have experienced before, uh, where uh, you know you're sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and you've got maybe you have family that are uh, that are all liberal, and then there's somebody else who is uh, more conservative, and they're wearing a MAGA hat um, at at Thanksgiving dinner, and they're talking about how great the wall is and and all of that stuff. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe it's the roles have been reversed. Maybe you're that person that makes things awkward. I don't know. Uh, I am that person sometimes, but. Uh, that's, that's okay. I can be a little outspoken occasionally, but uh, this was an awkward dinner party uh, to be all awkward dinner parties. It starts out with, with Jesus being invited to a Pharisee's house, and the Pharisees, you might know, uh, really hate Jesus, don't like him, don't want him to heal people on the Sabbath, and so they invite him over for dinner, and they plant a guy who has a sickness right in front of him, and they're just kind of sitting there going, uh, what's he going to do? How, what's he, what's he going to say? Is he going to heal this guy when he's not supposed to heal him on the Sabbath? And of course, Jesus heals him. And then Jesus just decides to take the gloves off with these religious people that, man, they're just jerks. They're, they're religious people, and they really don't care about other people. Uh, they just care about themselves. And Jesus uh, just begins to kind of confront them to their face while he's sitting at dinner with them. And things are getting really awkward as, as Jesus is, is, is really saying to them, like, hey, when you, uh, when you, I noticed that when y'all came in, everybody was, was jostling and positioning for the best seat in the house. 
Like I noticed that uh, there's nobody here that is really poor or crippled or, or blind or lame. I noticed you don't really invite people into your presence like that, and you should invite them instead of just inviting the people that are gonna pay you back by serving you dinner at some point. And so he gets to this point where he says this, and there's a guy who's extremely uncomfortable with the whole situation. He, he's just thinking to himself, this is really awkward. I really want out of this situation. I want it to stop. In fact, everyone is on pins and needles, if you can imagine, uh, for a moment here. Everyone is on pins and needles, and they just want it to stop. Please make it stop. If Jesus would just stop talking, uh, then everything would be fine. So somebody tries to change the subject, and some guy blurts out, yes, everyone is blessed who will eat bread from the kingdom of God. Ah, you know, like, yeah, we're all gonna be in there. It's gonna be just fine. We're gonna be a part of the kingdom of God. Everything's cool. Okay, let's change the subject. Let's move on. Everyone is sitting there just waiting. Please don't keep this going. And then Jesus says, oh, yeah? Huh. He begins to say, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Let me tell you another story, Jesus says. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now what would happen in those days is that uh, you would send two invitations. The first invitation, because they didn't have clocks, would just inform people, hey, I'm having a party. Um, uh, will you be willing to come when the, when the time comes? And people would say, yes, I'll receive that invitation. They'll say, yes, I will, I will come when you send the servant the second time. And so what's happened here is Jesus is telling a story, and he's saying there was a man who once gave a great banquet. He invited lots of people, and when the time came, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Excuse me. So he goes out and he says, come, it's time for the, the banquet. We're ready for you. Just stop what you're doing and head on down. It's going to be amazing. The meat just got finished on the grill. Like the brisket's ready. It's been on for 12 or 16 hours, whatever it is. I got some amazing steaks. They're going to be rare. It's going to be killer. Somebody gave me a gift card to Rudy's the other day. We don't go to Rudy's very often. Don't get the wrong idea, but went to Rudy's. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm sick of having... Uh, like an overcooked steak. So I, I thought, you know what? This is such an amazing steak. I'm just gonna start with it rare. And if I have to send it back, I will. Anyway, I order the thing rare, 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 like, like bloody rare, like got a sear on it, just barely got this steak. It was amazing. This is all a side note. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I get this steak and it was heaven on my plate. Like it was so stinking good. I've never loved raw meat so much. And then my wife... She got, she got like some crab cakes. And so I had like a bite of like steak and then, and then a bite of crab cake and then a bite of steak. Like it was the most amazing meal. I'd like to have that before I die. But um, anyway, okay. Uh, back to the sermon. I would imagine this is that kind of party. Like it was like amazing steaks, like amazing meat. Like it is so good. It is ready. And this is the kind of party they're throwing. This is the kind of stuff that's happening here. And so the servant goes out. And he says, hey, come, everything is ready for you. Verse 18, 
but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I just bought some property and I got to go out and see it. That's so weird. You bought some property and now you're going to go look at it? That's strange. Okay, normally you do that before you buy it, but okay, whatever. The, uh, I bought a field. I got to go out and, and look at it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. You know, uh, this story, you know, we got to do some translation here for people in Salem. In Silverton, this would work great, you know, like buying oxen, buying fields, stuff like that. So, but everybody from Silverton, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody not from Silverton, um, you know, this is like, you know, I bought some, uh, some new vehicles. So I bought a new vehicle. I, I, I bought some horses, whatever. I guess that's still Silverton, but don't worry about that. So I bought some stuff and I got to go, I got to go look at those too. They, he, the guy didn't go look at his horses, his oxen. What is going on with that? Please have me excused. Then another said, I just got married. Therefore I cannot come. My wife, you know, he's using the wife excuse. My wife doesn't want to go tonight. Yeah. She's she doesn't want me out, you know, we, we, gotta, we gotta stay home. So there's this amazing banquet. It's put on by this master. The servant goes out, tries to give the second invitation. The master has already prepared the food. It's all ready to go. And he sends that invitation, and these people, they just make excuses. Now, why is Jesus telling this story? Why is Jesus telling this story? He's telling a parable which is very uh, indicative of what's happening with these religious people that he's talking to. Remember these other two stories that he talked about as far as the, you know, when you go to a wedding feast, don't sit at the head table. When you have a, a feast, don't just invite your friends. Now he's telling another story that's very similar. You won't even come to the party, essentially, is what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? You religious people that grew up under God's law, you have the law, you have the prophets, you have the other writings, they have the Old Testament, basically. They've been worshiping God in a sense. They have all of this knowledge, but when the servant, when the servant who is Jesus comes, they will not receive the invitation. They will not receive it because of this, because they have too much going on in their life. They've taken good blessings that God has given them, such as business, the ability to buy things, the, wh whatever that looks like for them. And they've decided, you know what? I'm gonna be more concentrated on this stuff, on the blessings that God has given me. Or they take a thing like family and they say, family is ultimate. You know, a lot of Christian people do that. They say, well, I gotta put my family first. Before God? Is that, is that how that goes? Family comes before God? I, I, I don't know about that. Jesus is saying, you can't use the blessings that I've given you as the excuse for not entering into my party, entering into the marriage supper of the Lamb, as it's talked about in the book of Revelation, which is ultimately the, the, the culmination of salvation is when we sit at the table with Jesus and we dine together with him in perfect peace. Jesus is saying to these people, you have all of this knowledge, you have all of this stuff, and yet it doesn't mean squat because you've never really attended the party. I've sent you the invitation. Now, this in many ways applies to the church today. It applies to us in this way. Do you remember at the beginning of COVID, 
So a year ago today, I'm told, was the first time that we canceled service, a year ago today. We went through a, a period of time, where we, the, the, the two-week period to, to flatten the curve, and that extended into a year. And uh, so we, we, we had that time period. But during that period of quarantine, do you guys remember what was taking place there? There's many people, including myself, who were saying, I have become so distracted with so many things that I have to go to. I've become so distracted with all of the things. I've become so distracted with life in, in essence. And now I've been able to be at home. I've been able to be at home with my family in a much greater capacity. People aren't going every which way. All of a sudden, we're together, we're hanging out, and it's, it's really kind of sweet. There's a lot of people who are single, though, and they were sitting through that experience, and they were really suffering because they didn't have anybody to hang out with, and so that was difficult for you. But many of us did experience that. We experience that because our lives have become overwhelmed with the stuff of God and not the God of the stuff. Our lives have become overwhelmed and preoccupied with taking care of all of the blessings that God has given us rather than uh, worshiping and serving the God that has given us the blessing. We get confused on where does blessing actually come from? Does it come from him or does it come from this stuff? What these people had come to the conclusion of was that blessing comes from the things that I do, the things that I create, my purchases, my vehicles, my house, my car, my, my, uh, my property. Now, I know what that's like. I get really, really sidetracked with that stuff. Get sidetracked with family, th- feeling like family is ultimate over all things. See, people can really delude themselves into believing that somehow they're righteous before God because somehow God approves of me because he's been blessing me and somehow God approves of me because I, I've got this, this great family. And re- really what's happened is that it has just become a distraction. And many people in the church today are distracted from truly following Jesus. They have very little knowledge of who he actually is. They have knowledge of the ways of the church, but they haven't really entered into the feast the feast that is the Christian life, the kingdom of God. What would Jesus say to you if he's sitting at your table? What would Jesus call out in your life? How would, how would he communicate to you? What would he say there? Because Jesus is being pretty controversial right here. And sometimes he needs to knock on the door of the hearts of the people that think that they're walking with him and say some aggressive things that mean, hey, I don't believe that you're truly following me. You're just consumed with the gifts that I've given you. And side note, one of the greatest gifts that God can give you is to take it all away. But Jesus is willing to sit there and say aggressive things to have an awkward dinner with you so that you can hear him and so that you can begin to follow him truly and to enter into the feast that he has prepared for you. So really, what's the problem here? What's the issue? See, many of us have have the same issue. Many of us have the same type of problems. In fact, Jesus even speaks to a church in Revelation chapter three. 
beginning in verse 14. You don't need to turn there. He's speaking to the church in Laodicea. And he says, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, that's his salutation or the beginning of his, his uh, uh, message to them. And he says to this church, I know your works. I, I know all about you. I know what's good. I know what's bad. I know what's been happening. Like Jesus knows everything, right? Jesus knows our hearts. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, people that are in this position, people that uh, have been around the church for a while, they know the drill. They know all the stuff. They know all the, all the things. They know how to get through the, you know, the church rigmarole. And all, all, they know how to enter into that community. It just becomes old hat. And like the fire that we had when we planted Outward Church begins to dissipate. It begins to kind of wear off a little bit. And then we get a career. And then we get, uh, we get, we get a family. We get all that stuff. And pretty soon, we're sitting at a dinner table with Jesus, having this awkward dinner because What's happening is that we're lukewarm. We're not entering into the feast of Jesus. We're sitting there and we're just lukewarm. What's Jesus say to this church? I'll spit you out of my, my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Some of you, if you're honest with yourself about where you are with God today, you, you, would, you, would, you would say this. I have everything in line. For the most part, my life is going pretty well. I have things taken care of pretty well. Maybe you're paying your bills. Not everybody is, I get that. But some of you have got things taken care of. Or if they're not taken care of, you just believe that you can take care of them. And so you believe that in and of yourself, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. And you, you might think to yourself, like, am I even in this thing? Am I even in this whole Christianity deal? And it's, it's really rooted in the fact that you have all that you need. That you have the piece of property and that you have the oxen or the vehicles or whatever that is, that you have the family. And so what, be, what begins to dissipate is this, is this sense of, I need Jesus. Because you don't need Jesus. Because what you have is you have your stuff that Jesus gave you. And you have your family that Jesus gave you. I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. And Jesus' word to you and to me during this is to say, not realizing that you are actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, the cure for religious people that feel like they don't need Jesus, and the cure for self-made people 
that have never wanted Jesus. The cure for them is to see the state that they're in. What's going on with these Pharisees, with these religious people, is that they sit there and they think, I'm confident. I have all I need. I don't need to meet and dine with Jesus. I don't need to be with him. In fact, it goes on and it says in this Revelation passage, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to, to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I repro- reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. What's standing in the way of you meeting with Jesus? For many of us, it's our stuff. For many of us, it's, it's our ability to control things. It's our ability to manage things. And so what's the cure for that? We've got to realize that we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And that's exactly what happens here in this next passage. Who actually enters the feast? Who actually comes? So the servant, verse 21, from our passage in Luke, came and reported these things to his master. He goes to the master and says, hey, I went and talked to all the people that you invited and every single one of them was a punk. They were like, no, I don't need it. I don't want any, I don't want any food. I don't, I, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't really need to, to come and be a part of that. Then the master of the, uh, the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, stop right there for a second. The master of the house is putting on a party. Who does the master represent? The master represents God the Father. The master re- represents God in all of his goodness, and yet in the midst of his goodness, he gets angry. And what's he angry about? He's angry that I have provided this feast. I have provided this feast, and yet you will not eat. You will not even attend. You're satisfied with these trifling things, these fields and these vehicles and these houses and and, and your family. You're trifling with little, small stuff. And God gets angry angry because they will not come in. And so he says this, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring the poor and crippled and blind and lame. I want you to go out, Jesus says to the servant who, I'm sorry, God says to Jesus who is the servant. I want you to go out and I want you to find me the people that know that do realize that they are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. I want you to go out and find those people. So who are these people? Who are the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame that do enter into the party? Well, look at the poor person here. The the servant runs out into the streets and finds the poor person, the person who lacks the funds in reality, But spiritually speaking, a poor person could be the person who has a depression of some sort, some type of spiritual depression. They're poor in spirit. They don't feel like they have what it takes 
They don't feel like they could really measure up. And the servant runs to them and says, come, you must come quickly because everything is ready. And there's a party and there's a feast. And the master has given you everything. And the poor person might respond and say, I don't have the funds to make it. I can't, I can't do it. I don't have the wherewithal to get there because of some spiritual depression. Maybe you're in some type of spiritual depression. Maybe you're in a place where you're, you're just like, man, I've been doing this for a long time and I see what these Pharisees are doing and I don't really want to act like that. I don't feel like I can enter the feast. I don't feel like I can be with God like that. I don't feel like I can be with Jesus in that sense because I just lack the spiritual wherewithal to be with him. I don't have what it takes. I can't pay for it. I don't have it. But it says in Isaiah 55, 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. See, the only thing that the poor person needs to know The only thing that they need to know is that I do not have what it takes, but yet this is so much better. I do not have what it takes. I cannot get myself there. I cannot take a cab. I cannot take an Uber. I don't have my own vehicle. I cannot make it to that spot. But the invitation is not for you to pay for yourself. The invitation is not for you to pay for everything, for you to get yourself into the party. The invitation is just that. Just come. Because you can come and you can buy without money and without price. You can come and buy because someone else has given you something. The servant Jesus has given himself for you. Or imagine for a moment that you're the crippled person. The servant runs to you and says, I would, you, you need to come to this. You must come to this this party. You must come to this feast. You must come be with the master. And the crippled person says, it would take too long for me to get there. It would be too painful. They're not quite lame, but there's somebody who has some type of disability. They have some type of issue, and it may be a type of anxiety, a type of fear. It's an anxiety and a, and a fear that says, I don't have what it takes I feel like God is going to strike me down. I, 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 I could never get there. I can, I can never really operate responsibly. I could never be somebody who really has it all together because I have this disability. My hand won't stretch out. My legs don't work properly. Whatever that looks like. But it says in Isaiah 35, 3 through 4, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. See, when God comes, he doesn't say, hey, as long as you can get to the party, as long as you can make it, I'll let you in. But you got to get yourself here first. God goes to the poor. God goes to the cripple. He sends the son, the servant. And he says, the only thing that is required 
is that you would come knowing this, that I will be the one who will strengthen your weak hands. I will be the one who will make firm the feeble knees. And I will say to those of you who have an anxious heart, an anxiety of, I don't have it right. I have crippled myself with my sin. I have not measured up, and I fear, and I have anxiety. And I am the one who is going to make you strong. I'm going to come with vengeance. Did you see what that says? He's coming with vengeance, and he is going to come and save you. That's the promise that he brings. Why does the master say, bring all of them in? Because they have realized that they are wretched, that they are pitiable, that they are poor, that they are blind, that they are naked. He is standing at the door and he is knocking and he's saying, I want to come in and I want to dine with you. Won't you let go of your anxiety? Won't you let go of your depression? Won't you let go of the maladies that have overtaken your life? You must, you must. He's come to you. He has come. He's there. He's standing in front of you. He wants you at his party. Look at the next one, the blind. The servant runs to the blind person and says, go now. Go to the party. Don't wait another moment. You must go there. You must be there. And the blind person says, I cannot see the way. I don't know how to get there. I can't, I can't feel my way there. I have no idea I can't see even the direction of where it would go. And that may be the person who just lives in pride. They cannot even see how sinful they actually are. In fact, they might even feel bad about this. They might say, I haven't wept over my sin, and yet I know that I've been sinful. I know that I've totally jacked up my family. I know that I've totally screwed over my business partner. I know that I have not lived rightly. I know that I haven't been walking with Jesus. But the problem is this. It's not that I don't know that I've done that. It's that I can't even feel bad about it. I'm blind to my sin. Maybe you're somebody who's never even been in relationship with God. Maybe you've never called yourself a Christian. And the problem with you is this, that you, you see the rules, the regulations, all of that, that sin content in the Bible. You've rejected it for so long. And part of the reason why you've rejected it is because you have told yourself for years and years, I don't feel bad about my sin. You've listened to the lie of the world that has told you, don't feel bad about the things that you want to do. You just do whatever you want to do and you'll be fine but Jesus says, the Father says, bring the blind. Bring even the person who's been unable to see their sin, and yet they realize they have sin. They've come to the conclusion, yes, I've sinned, but I just, I don't think I feel bad enough about it. God's acceptance of you is not based on how bad you feel about your sin. Allow God to be the one who gives you a new heart, takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. Allow God to be the one who breaks down your pride and says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Let God be the one who molds and shapes you 
Isaiah 35, 5 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. God's going to come in. He's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who opens our eyes to see where we are. And sometimes we need to pray this prayer that says, God, I don't know that I feel bad about the stuff that I've done. I don't know that I want relationship with you, but I want to have relationship with you. And for myself, what I, the prayer that I had to pray was this, is that like, I keep sinning, I keep doing wrong, I keep acting in these ways. God, I'm not even sure that I want to stop that. I'm sitting blind in my pride. And so the prayer that I had to pray was, God, I want to want to be in relationship with you. Well, some of you are so far down the road that you, you can barely muster the thought of even wanting to see your sin. And so you might say, God, I just, I just want to ask you because I want to want to want to want to want to want you. And that's a prayer that God answers. Because when you're sitting in your pride and you can't see your sin, when you're sitting in your pride and you're saying, this isn't sin, when you're sitting in your pride and you're saying, I don't feel bad about it, so there must not be anything wrong with this, all that proves is that you have a heart of stone that has not been turned into a heart of flesh. And God must do the work. He will open the eyes of the blind and he will unstop the ears of the deaf. He will change you. But maybe you're this last person, the lame. It's the person who says, I cannot get there on my own. I cannot... I cannot go to that party with those people because if I enter into that party with those people, I'm just going to stick out like a sore thumb. Or it may be something where, the, where they're, just, they're just flat out unmotivated. Like I'm unmotivated to go. I don't want to be at that party. I don't want to feast with Jesus. I don't want to enter into the kingdom of God. And ultimately, it's not because they can't see their sin. It's not because they're blind. It's that they see their sin, but they're stuck in their sin. And you might be that person where you say, I have sin. I'm sure of it. I know it's wrong. I see that it's wrong, but I'm just stuck. I can't move. It could be like the person that Jesus heals by the pool of Bethsaida could be that person who's sitting there. They can't move. They have to be carried there day in and day out. They've been looking for these false remedies all along. Jesus comes by and says, stand up. It could be that kind of a situation where you can't move yourself. You can't get unstuck from this. You are captured by your sin, addicted, if you will. You're in this moment where you're just like, I cannot stand myself. I can't stand what I do. I'm unmotivated to move out of it. I can't. I feel stuck. And Jesus says, bring the lame to me. Bring them to me. Isaiah 40 verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What, what does that say to you and I? It says this, the one who waits on the Lord and says, God, I'm crippled. I'm stuck in my sin. I can't go anywhere. He says, if you're waiting on the Lord, your strength is going to be renewed. The unmotivation that you had before is going to be turned into motivation. He's going to give you wings of eagles and you're going to be able to run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Why does he invite the person who is lame and stuck in their sin? It's because they're realizing their sin. They realize, hey, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And that's exactly why the Father is inviting you in. You can't get in to the party unless you are poor or crippled or blind or lame. And the problem with these Pharisees, with these religious people, is that they cannot even see their need to be at the party. They have all the knowledge. They have so little heart and they cannot seem to enter. And Jesus invites you, but maybe it's more than that. It says in verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. The, the grace of God in spite of all of these needy people being there, there still is room. There still is room for all of these people. There's still room. Come now. Everything is ready. Look at what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, religious jerks, come now. Everything is ready. The, the poor, come now. Everything is ready. The crippled, the blind, the lame, come now. Everything is ready. There's still room. There's still room. There's still room. There is still room available. And he says, and the master said to his servant, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out to the highways and to the hedges, and I want you to compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God is, loves you so much. God loves his creation so much that he lovingly would compel you to come in. Compel, meaning this, that he will grab you by the arm through his servant Jesus. And he will say, you must come. You are coming with me now. It's this idea of God saves people against their will. You want free will? Well, then you don't want salvation because salvation comes from the compelling power of Jesus Christ. Comes from the compelling power of the Holy Spirit by the will of the Father. Look at John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father has drawn him, has compelled him or her to him. If you've ever prayed for somebody, 
to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. What you're praying is you're praying, Lord, would you save them against their will? Because right now their will is something else. Lord, would you save them? Would you cause them to be a Christian? You're calling them to that. He compels us. I remember I was sitting in a membership meeting or a membership class not too long ago. We were talking about how one of the controversial things um, about the scriptures is, is that it teaches that God saves against our will. Yes, we must place faith in him, but he causes us even to have that faith. And, and I said, well, it's really controversial. And this, this gal who used to be an atheist said to me, she says, why is that controversial? She said, that's what happened to me. I was an atheist for many years, my family was a group of atheists. I never would have believed. Somehow God compelled me to come. God compelled me. And maybe you're in this place where you're like, man, I feel like I'm all of those things. I'm the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Maybe you might say, man, I am the Pharisee who has all of this knowledge, but yet I have never really dined with Jesus. And what the thing that you want to ask, you want to say, God, take me against my will. Take away my free will because my free will just leads me to sin. My free will just leads me to live my life in this way. God, if you're real, if you're true, I want to believe that you would go out to the highway and to the hedges and that you would compel me, that you would grab me. Don't you want that? Don't you want God to grab you and to say, Yes, you're mine, you're coming to the party. But he does it gently, doesn't he? He woos us to himself. He compels us through his kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. It's his grace. It's his mercy when he sees that you can't walk, when he sees that you can't see, when he sees that you can't do anything. He's calling you to himself. He's drawing you to himself. But what this also means is this, is that those who have entered into the feast have a responsibility because God is compelling others, is drawing others toward himself. And we have a responsibility to be a picture of the feast that is Jesus Christ. If you read a little bit further with me, it says... For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. What is his banquet? What is his banquet? See, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, this banquet, this feast, is not what God wants from you. It is not what God wants requires from you. It is not what God wants from you. It is what God wants for you. And what does he want for you? The greatest feast, the greatest meal that you can have is Jesus himself. It is Jesus himself. Jesus is the servant who's inviting you to come and partake of him. Look at what it says in John 6, 53. So Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, Jesus took a lot of flack for this. But what Jesus is inviting you to is partake of him. He is giving you himself. He is the meal. Remember, he says, I am the bread of life. He is the meal himself. How does he woo you? He gives you himself. He says, I'm giving you my very body and my blood. He's giving you himself. How do you go to the world, to those whom have been compelled and are being drawn, of which you don't know who they are and I don't know who they are, but how do we do that? We give of ourselves. We give of ourselves. We become the meal because we have ingested Jesus Christ. We have taken him in. We become the meal and we allow ourselves to be consumed for the sake of other people. Why, why is that? Why is that? Because it is the greatest explanation of who Jesus Christ is. It's the great, it's, it, this is what drives people to Jesus is when people see other people who are loving Jesus, who are eating him as the meal and their lives are being overtaken by that. What does the apostle Paul say in Ephesians chapter five to men in their marriages, even though they're the head of their household, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and ruled over her and domineered his wife and told her to do lots of things and to obey him. No, that's not what it says. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. See that is what is compelling in your marriage. That is invitational. It's not when we come to the public stage and we say, I demand my rights. I must have this. My political party must win. How do we go out into this world, which is stinking nuts, by the way. It's getting crazier by the minute. It's craziness. You know why? Because we've got a bunch of Pharisees that are running out there saying that they belong to the church, but they've never entered the party. Guess what? We get to enter the party and go out into the world and give of ourselves because Jesus is the meal. He's the one that we get to partake in. And if people knew, hey, the basis of my religion is self-giving. It's, by the way, living outwardly, by the way. It's giving of yourself. It's loving Jesus and it's living outward. That's what drives us. But you can't give a compelling invitation that you haven't yourself taken. You wonder why your gospel presentation doesn't work very well? Maybe you don't feel like you want to. It might be because you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, and you don't even know it. You may have been taught as a Pharisee for most of your life, and you don't even see it. But Jesus is inviting you, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, to come to the party. You cannot buy it. You cannot pay for it. You cannot get yourself there. You cannot meet him halfway. He will draw you to himself. Beg your God to draw you to him.
And if that's not working, say, God, I want to want it. And I want to want it. Would you reveal yourself to me? I want to have relationship with you. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're just saying, I've never had relationship with God. I don't even want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do the exact opposite of everything that God wants me to do. And I, but I think, I, I, I wish that I wanted it. I've tried to want it and I wish I wanted it and I want to want it. And that's a prayer that God answers because you can't want Jesus without him drawing you. You can't want him. Only those whom the father has given to the son will come to the son. Only those. You can't want that without that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. I'm, I'm begging you. Can't you see that, that, dude, we have a church. I don't think I've ever said dude in a sermon before, but, <laughs> but I just thought I'd correct that. Look, look at what's going on in our world today. Does our world need more religious jerks? Does our... Does our world need more politically motivated people? Does, does our world need any of those things? Or does our world need people who are consumed with the gospel? Does our world need more people who are consumed with their stuff, I should have said, with their fields and their oxen and their families? Or do, does our world need people who are consumed with the one who consumed, was allowed himself to be consumed for their sake. That, that's, that is the answer to our, to our city. It's the answer to your home. It's the answer to our nation. It's the answer to our world. This is the peace. This is the hope. This is the love that God gives us. And he deeply wants you to enter into the party. And so with that, um, can we go to the Lord's table? If you didn't grab communion on the way in, it's just right here in the back. Communion is funny because I kind of always feel like a Pharisee when I come to the Lord's table because it feels like this perfunctory just type act that is just like, yeah, eat the cracker, drink the juice, you know, that kind of thing. But what communion is, communion is living in gratitude, constant gratitude for what God has given us through Jesus Christ. When someone gives you the greatest gift that you've ever had, do you say thank you just once? Or do you, do you say thank you all of the time? I was telling first service this morning, it just popped in my mind, that one of the greatest gifts that I ever received was, uh, I had a really bad home life at home, worse than I even realized. I had dropped out of school. I was kind of a screw-up. My aunt invited me to go live in Texas and to live in a different home. And it changed my life. And I think when I was young, I might have said thank you when I was like 15 or whatever it was. I might have said thank you, but I never realized what a gift it was that she had invited me to her home to live. Because I was a 
a screwball, right? Another word I haven't used in a sermon. But But it's now when I see my aunt, there are times when I just, I just have to stop and just say, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you invited me to your house. I can't believe you put up with me. Like, I can't believe that. Like, all of the ways that you, all the reasons you should not have done that. And I find myself saying that because I'm, like, I'm standing here today and not in jail, probably because of that. I'm, I'm, I'm standing here today because my aunt took me in. And so I, I don't just say thank you once. I say thank you all the time. And I live in gratitude of the gift that she gave to me. So would you bow your heads with me? And I wonder if you could just think for a second about all the ways that you're not grateful for the cross. If you've been in church for any amount of time, this thing called communion just it just gets old if we're honest. But it actually gets to be made new constantly. Not as we wallow in our sin and wallow over it. But as we thank Jesus for for the fact that we in spite of our ungratefulness still sin against him. We still go against him. And he loves you right now, even in the midst of maybe the worst sin that you've ever committed. He loves you more today than you could possibly imagine. He pours out his grace and his mercy on you. Where sin increased, his grace increases all the more. You can't out God. And so this morning, we're here to celebrate. So let's celebrate here, just in your mind, Lord Jesus. I pray for forgiveness of my sins. I know that you've forgiven me, but I thank you for going to the cross for that sin. Think about specific sin in your life. Think about the sin of not even appreciating the fact that he went to the cross. Lord, God, forgive me for not even being thankful or caring. But Lord, help me to remember that you went to the cross for me. And Jesus' response to you this morning is this. My child... I love you more than you can imagine. I gave you everything. I left it all out on the field. I poured out everything for you. And I want you to know that this, what you hold in your hand, is representative of my body, which was broken and given for you. Would you do this in remembrance of me? Let's partake of the bread. But it wasn't just a wounding It was a full-on pouring out of my blood. I've given it for you. I love you that much. Let's partake of the blood. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us everything. Thank you that you served us in that way. May we serve others by living for your cause, by bringing the compelling message of the feast of Jesus, the Christian life that is the feast of you. May we live that way. It's in your name we pray. Amen.